0: hi everyone fraser here i've got a bit of a different format today this was an interview that i did with professor ronald mallett he is a professor emeritus from the university of connecticut a very well-respected thinker in general relativity physics astrophysics cosmology but he has also been putting uh, all of that knowledge to work trying to figure out a practical form of time travel and he's actually written a book about his quest and uh, hoping to be able to actually build a practical prototype. Uh, before you think that sounds really strange. Like again, he's well respected in the field of, of general relativity. So he's coming at it from from Einstein's direction. Now, this was an interview that we did on the weekly space hangout, but it ended up going quite long, about 45 minutes. And it was great. It was one of my favorite interviews. And so I figured, hey, you guys like this kind of thing. Um, so I two things. One, I just wanted to make you aware of this really fun interview and give you a chance to watch it, but also to remind you that the weekly space hangout exists. And so if you want to listen to um, even more space content, a, a weekly roundup of space news from a bunch of journalists, as well as cool interviews with astronauts, astronomers, space scientists, don't forget about the weekly space hangout. And I'll put a link to it so you can subscribe there as well. All right, here is the interview with Professor Ronald Mallett enjoy. All right, our guest today, Dr. Ronald Mallet. Uh, welcome to the weekly space hangout.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here.
0: So the question I always ask people, who are you? What do you do?
1: Well, I'm a theoretical physicist at the University of Connecticut, and I'm Professor Emeritus and a research professor there. And that uh, is my specialty is Einstein's theories of relativity, things like black holes, uh, the Big Bang Theory of the universe. That's and, uh, and also time travel, which is part of Einstein's theories, but that's what I, that's my job.
0: Well, we'll definitely get into the time travel part in a second, but uh, how do you feel about how well Einstein's theories of of relativity have held up to all of the tests? It's funny, we're always writing, you know, Einstein, still right, after all these years.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, the thing is, is I think that when it comes to the special theory of relativity, uh, that question isn't asked anymore, because it's so much a part of our everyday life. That uh, it's like in the background, although people don't realize that, but it's the general theory of relativity that that actually that question goes because that was his theory of gravity. And there's still things that we don't understand about gravity. You know, one of the most important of them is how do we bring it together with quantum mechanics? You know, uh, that is really one of the frontier problems is joining uh, general relativity with quantum mechanics. And that And whenever we've come up with new tests, for example, the uh, uh, verification of gravitational waves, you know, the Nobel Prize in uh, 2017 was won for that discovery, although that was uh, something that Einstein predicted over 100 years ago. And uh, the, the observation was because when you have two black holes colliding, it causes these ripples in space. And that was a prediction also. And the thing is, is that so this actually verified that we had indirect evidence of that. But this was actually the first direct evidence of that. So we have to keep testing it because there are as- there are many aspects of it that just haven't been tested yet.
0: And it is funny though because, as I said, you know we were continuously writing these articles that another test of Einstein's has finally mm-hmm. been experimentally proven. You know, a hundred years after, in ways that I'm sure he never even would have thought. Yeah, that's true. It's just incredible. Yeah.
1: Well, it, you know, but that also brings back an extremely important point because it's sometimes overlooked by people that uh, science and technology go hand in hand. And scientific discoveries, in fact, some t- the early discoveries, even in terms of uh, quantum mechanics, people don't realize that it, uh, quantum mechanics actually owes its uh, birth to trying to come up with a better light bulb. <laughs> and i'm i'm serious yeah and that was a technological thing okay yeah. and and literally that's the root of it although people they, they jump into what it is but that was actually and so the thing is is that in order to uh science requires technology in order to test things so there was not the technology around to uh demonstrate einstein's theories at that particular point the other aspect of it is people have no idea Whatsoever of how expensive these experiments are. Remember the one I just mentioned about uh, colliding black holes and ripples in space. How how can expensive could that be? That cost one yeah. billion, one hundred billion dollars. When I tell people that, their mouth drops open because the thing is, is they 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 say, oh, God, that can that be? And that's that's the other aspect. So it's the technology plus the cost.
0: Right, right. And so one of the the implications of general relativity, you feel is has a possibility for time travel. So so can you talk about that?
1: Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, now, one thing I should point out is that his special theory of relativity, which came out in 1905. It's important to understand why the general theory of relativity came about at all, because, you know, people would say, Well, why did he even go there? The thing is, is that the uh, special theory of relativity showed in a nutshell that time is affected by speed. Time for a moving clock slows down. The mm-hmm. faster a clock moves, the more time slows down. And there's been many, many, many experiments now that have demonstrated that. Okay. The thing is, is that however, the basis of the special theory of relativity is the speed of light. And according to Einstein, no signal Should be able to travel faster than the speed of light that's actually a bedrock of the special theory of relativity and what einstein's special theory of relativity did it was looking at the other thing is is it looked at uh objects in uh constant motion where the velocity doesn't change that was another portion of it okay so those are two things one that the uh speed of light is a constant and that uh that is the limit yeah. And also the other aspect, as I said, is that it did for motion that was to constant velocity. Now, Einstein wanted to apply the special theory to every single aspect of physics, and he did. Electromagnetism, in a sense, was already part of it. But when he came to gravity, that was a problem, mm-hmm. and that's something that should be understood because what it predicted, I, uh, Newton's theory, in a sense, predicted that violated special theory of relativity what do i mean by that well one of the classic examples i think that i like is the fact that you know that the uh earth is 93 million miles away from the sun and you know that it takes light eight minutes Mm -hmm. to travel that distance at 186,000 miles per second okay and what would happen if there was a cosmic catastrophe that would actually that would destroy the sun what would we see now that's that's you know not rhetorical what would we see because The thing is, is according to Newton, gravity shuts down immediately. So we would have the following weird situation. The sun is destroyed, so there's nothing to keep us in orbit. So we would fly off in a tangent into space. However, we would still see the sun sitting out there in the sky because it would take eight minutes for that to go. So according to Newton, that was a contradiction with Einstein's theory because according to Einstein, it takes a finite amount of time for life to get to us But gravity instantaneously shuts down. Einstein said that cannot be so. And so literally the reason for him developing the general theory of relativity was to bring gravity. Right. That was the root. And that's an important aspect.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of tests, right, it really wasn't until the kilonova event just in 2017, where we saw the gravitational waves and the radiation arrive at essentially the same time that we Very finally got this beautiful test that that they were truly moving at the speed of
1: light. Exactly. In fact, that's exactly right. And the thing is, is that, but that was, that was the reason why he developed the general theory of relativity in the first place. Now, the other thing that is important in order to understand how time fits into this, is to understand what what he had to do to get gravity to obey that law, okay? What he had to do was he said, gravity is really not a force. Gravity is actually a property of space. And what did he mean by that? Well, one of my favorite examples is the fact that, and I use this sometimes whenever I'm giving talks, is imagine that you had uh, a rubber sheet, say a small trampoline, okay? And suppose that you put a bowling ball on that sheet. It curves the sheet. Suppose you take a marble and set it on there. The marble moves down to the bowling ball. Now, imagine that that sheet is there, but it's transparent now. So all you can see is the bowling ball and the marble. Now, from that standpoint, when I drop the marble and it moves towards it, you would say, oh, somehow the uh, bowling ball is pulling
2: Yeah. On yeah. it.
1: But that's not what's happening. You know what's happening is that the uh, bowling ball is curving. And in fact, one of the things you can do is if you get that marble, a little sideways motion, you can actually get it to orbit around. But you know, once again, that what's happening is, is that it's orbiting that curved sheet. Well, Einstein said, that's an analogy, what Einstein said, that what the sun is doing is the sun is actually curving the empty space around it. And that what happens is, is that the earth is actually moving in that curved, empty space. We can't see it, but it's there. So according to Einstein, gravity is not a force. It's actually a curve of space. Now, this is important because sometimes popularizers get it wrong. Gravity doesn't cause the curvature of space. Gravity is the curvature of space. That sounds like a small semantic thing, but it's actually key. Gravity doesn't cause the curving of space. Gravity is the right. curvature of space. Yeah. Now, the thing is, is that in addition to that, Einstein's theory, space and time were joined each other at the hip. That's called space time, in fact. Whatever you do to space also happens to time. In a the special theory of relativity, what that means is that when you uh, speed up an object through space, it also causes a dilation of time, slowing down of time. In the general theory, what that shows up is, is that whenever space is curved, there's a bending of time. What does a bending of time mean? That shows up to us as clocks slowing down. So according to Einstein, for example, this, our earth is curving the space around it. So according to Einstein, when you get closer to that curve, which is closer to the surface of the earth, clocks should be running slower than they're running at a high altitude. Now, one thing that I've, I've, found is is that a lot of people even people who have the background sometimes aren't aware that that test actually occurred quite a while ago in terms of the gps yeah just to remind you the gps system the way in which it works is that right now we have these satellites above us that are sending a signal at a certain time that reaches your unit at a certain time okay and the thing is is that you know that if you know the time the signal was sent and you know the speed of the signal, you can compute distance, okay? And the thing is, is that when they were setting up the system initially, they were getting incorrect distances. <laughs> and right. the reason why is they were assuming Newton's theory of time. According to Newton, nothing can affect time. Speed, gravity, nothing. And uh, so they, were, when they were setting up the clock, this really was happening. They were assuming that the clocks aboard the satellites were ticking at the same rate is the clock in your unit. And when it, that wasn't happening, what they did was the this said, look, you have to take you have to take Einstein's general theory of relativity account because the clock in your unit, your GPS unit is actually, because it's closer to the earth, is running a little slower than the clocks on board those satellites. Those clocks are actually running faster than, than the clock. And they use computers to actually take that into account. So you might say that was the first, uh, that was a major initial test that gravity does affect time, okay, was that. Now, here's the other thing, though, and this is where time, it, now, the thing is is that this means that the stronger gravity is, the more time slows down, that actually is, has the same effect as speed on right. time, okay? And in fact, what that means is that, for instance, you know that the uh, uh, black hole is probably the most intense gravitational field that there is. And the prediction is is that if you get close to a black hole, the closer you get to a black hole, the more time slows down. And that actually is something that we know would happen simply because of the fact that we see the slowing down of time here on the earth. I should mention that one movie that I really like that gets it right, and that's Interstellar. Yeah, that's the example I always use as well. They they did a great job in that, okay? But now here's the point. That means that a black hole can allow time travel to the future. Yes. Just yeah. like, you know, this if you speed an object up. However, there's something else that happens in Einstein's theory, which in Newton's theory, we have just that. OK, I mean, you can't do anything with time according to gravity. But here's the other thing. Remember, I said that gravity is a property of space. You can think of it as a fabric but now you can actually think of it even more malleable. Suppose that you have a rotating object like the earth or a rotating black hole. Then that means that not only can you get a bending of space, but you can get a twisting of space. Okay. What would that mean? That would mean that, for example, if you had something out in space, like for instance, gyroscopes, say in a polar orbit, with the earth rotating under it, that polar orbit should actually twist, okay? That should ha- be happening. Now, the thing is, is that it was, in fact, a very, very important experiment that was done that actually demonstrated that, okay? Uh, called Gravity Probe B. Gravity Probe B actually showed that gyroscopes actually shifted because of the rotation of the Earth. Now, here's an interesting thing that comes up even in addition to that. So that was a whole new prediction, and that's actually been demonstrated. But now if the rotation is strong enough, for example, let's suppose we're talking about a rotating black hole, then that twisting becomes extremely strong. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So in addition to bending time, you actually get a twisting of time. Now normally, Hmm. and this is where time travel can come, because normally for all of us throughout our entire life, we move along a timeline. You right. can think of it as, if think of taking a, a strip of paper and drawing a timeline on it. And at the bottom of that line, let's say you put the past. At the middle of that line, you put the present. And at the top of that line, you put the future. All of us throughout our life live along this line, okay? However, once again, space, time are connected to each other. If I have an object rotating rapidly enough it can cause an extreme twisting of space and that extreme twisting of space because time is embedded in space, causes a bending of, of time. So imagine now that I'm rotating the space and I twist this time into a loop.
0: Right, I'm sort of imagining like the like a procession of time. I can't even, you know, I can't even sort of yeah. imagine what that means, but-, but well, you, well, but just
1: think of, yeah. as I said, literally a good analogy is just think of the fact that I'm just taking, you know, here I'm I'm twisting space and I'm gonna twist this strip of paper into a loop. Right. Now look what I can do. I can start out at the past and move along the strip of paper to the present and move along and continue to the future. But what I've done is I've made time into a loop. Right. So I can go from the future to where? To the past. So what that means is that by twisting space, I can twist time into a loop and I can create a loop in time this would allow me to travel into the past. In the special theory of relativity, there's no way that you can travel to the past. That's it, there's no way. No matter how fast you go, you can't get to the past. But in general theory of relativity, because of the fact that you might say, uh, gravity is this malleable property of space, we can bend space and we can twist space. And so this means that a rotating black hole, which which is, you might say the extreme twisting, of space it can cause a twisting of time and the calculations the mathematical calculations actually show that if you go to in a proper way towards now and this is important because we have to distinguish between non-rotating and rotating black holes in a non-rotating black hole if i go into it i'm history (laughs) yeah okay but it turns out that there's a special property for rapidly rotating black holes if they're rotating There's an angle that you could go into and you can actually come out again.
0: And you're and in this case, you're actually are you crossing the event horizon or are you just getting close?
1: That's because there's a different there's with rotating black with you might say this is a good point. It's a subtle point. But with non-rotating black holes, there's only one horizon. It's the event horizon. Right. And once you cross that event horizon, that's it. However, for a rotating black hole, there's actually two horizons. Ah, like right. Of course. There's an inner event horizon. And that's why I said you have to go at the right angle. There's an inner event horizon that if you go into that one, you're in, you're, yeah. you're done. Yeah. But there's an outer horizon that if you go through that, you can go into and out of the rotating black hole and end up in the past.
0: Because the time is twisted because so much. Right, you got right. It.
1: Yeah. Okay, that has been shown mathematically. We haven't demonstrated it experimentally, but that's, that, that is actually a part of the property of a rotating right. black hole.
0: And, and so, sorry, just to sort of labor on this for a second. So theoretically then, I guess, however close you get in your angle of attack the farther you're able to go back in time, like the farther, the, the closer you get to the inner event horizon, the more of a dramatic shift that is. Would the limit be when the black hole first formed, when it first started that, to that's rotate? A, that's it.
1: In fact, that's a very, very good point, because it brings up another point that people sometimes forget. You, this loop that occurs, occurs because of the rotating black hole before the rotating black hole was created there is no loop mm-hmm. that means that you could go back into the past if you let's suppose you we found a rotating black hole let's say the rotating black hole has been was formed uh, let's say a billion years ago okay that means that you could actually travel back in time a billion years up to the point that the rotating right. black hole was created but not beyond that because sometimes people think that when you have a time machine and, and a rotating black hole is a kind of a time machine, that you can go back to any period. You can only go back to the point when the device was created. And this happens even for wormholes. Mm-hmm. You cannot go back in the past earlier than when the wormhole was formed. And with my work, it's the same thing. My work is based on Einstein's general theory of relativity. Right. So it has that, uh, that limitation. Now, people have sometimes fantasized, well, will there ever be a way that we could get, well, you know, let's suppose, uh for the fun of it that uh and, and now actually we know now scientifically due to the fact that there are a great number of these uh what are called extrasolar planets we know that eventually there will be an extrasolar planet in fact uh physicists even have a name for it you know some of the the planets are too close they're too hot some of the planets are too far away from their sun they're too cold but there's this class of planets that are just right they're called Goldilocks planets and these Goldilocks planets should be able to, some of them have water, have life on them. Now, suppose that there are civilizations out there, which very likely there might be, that have uh, mastered time travel and have created their device, let's say 10,000 years ago. Well, the thing is, is that we don't have a machine right now, but if we were able to find them, we could use their machine to actually visit our right. ancient past. Yeah. Okay. So, that is one way we could actually overcome this limit yeah. And be able to go back to our past. But as I said, right now, we haven't uh, created a machine that will allow us to go back to the past yet.
0: Right. And of course, I mean, practically speaking, you've got horrendous tidal forces getting extremely close to a black hole. It's no picnic to, to do that. So, That's so right. do you you have ideas on how this process could be tamed in a, in a more reasonable level, something here no, on Earth. I, I,
1: my, my work has been to show that there are other ways? Yeah, that it can be done. Okay, that was been that has been my particular interest because the there's a key and this is now now we're coming back. Now we're now we're coming to my work. Okay um and the i should say we'll, we'll come back to that but there's a very personal reason why i was interested in, in this notion of time travel to the past but i'll mention that in a bit the thing is is that what there's an aspect of einstein's theory that is very very different from newton's theory in newton's theory besides the fact of the curved space the other aspect is is that in newton's theory it's only matter that can create gravity That means that, for instance, the Earth creates a gravitational field that keeps us anchored to it. The sun creates a gravitational field that keeps the Earth in orbit and so on. Those aspects are similar in Einstein and Newton. However, in in Einstein's theory, light, light is not matter. Light is just pure energy. But in Einstein's theory, light can create gravity, too, Mm -hmm. just like matter. So now you can easily see what my reasoning was. If gravity can affect time and light can create gravity then light can affect time
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that's the core in which my research is based and what i was looking at was a particular type of light a special kind of light that was developed actually part of einstein's theory by the way einstein actually looked at this property of light uh it's called a laser Mm -hmm. And a laser stands for sometimes people forget that the name laser actually is an act, uh, you know, tells you what it is. It's light amplification by the emission of radiation. Okay, And the thing is, is that the uh, that's important because the thing is, is that light has this uh, laser light in particular, unlike other normal light sources, which spread out a light beam. It's like a pencil's beam. It's just like a straight beam. And what I did, I'm a theoretical physicist, I should mention, okay, so this was not done by experiment. This was done by uh, my solving Einstein's gravitational field equations, which was not a pick. Okay, but what I did was I knew there was a device uh, that really does exist, called a ring laser. What is a ring laser ring laser, you can just think of it. Think of um, a square, with mirrors at each corner. And suppose you send a beam of laser light from one mirror to the next mirror to the next mirror into the next mirror, you could actually create a circulating beam of light. That's what I mean by a circulating beam of laser light. That device is called a ring laser. And it actually is a real technological mm-hmm. device. In fact, there are uh, gyroscopes that are based on that ring laser gyroscopes. Now, what I did was I was working with analogies here Okay. and what I thought was was that well, wait a minute now uh, a circulating light beam could that be something like you know rotating matter mm-hmm. and if that's so what I did was I actually what I did with was to sit down and, and solve Einstein's gravitational field equations for a circulating beam of light and what I found in, in the solution was the fact that, if you look at the empty space within that region, it turns out that yes, it actually causes a twisting of space.
0: Right, and, and I guess you've you've got the advantage that it is going very quickly, um, and I guess e yes, MC as fast as it can go. Yeah, E, e equals M C squared gives you the equivalent of mass that the the however many right. photons you're you are dumping into your have, loop. Yeah,
1: and, and the thing is, is that you have to remember though that there's a little bit more because that is part of the core you're absolutely right the fact is is that you might say light has something like an equivalent mass because of the equivalence of matter and energy but there's something about light which isn't like matter in other words if i have a ball it sits there there's no such thing as a photon sitting there mm-hmm. a photon is always on the move okay and so there's effects that occur for light that don't occur for matter and in fact if you have let's say um Let's say you take a, a lead lead rod that would create a gravitational field it would pull a particle towards it but how let's suppose that you just have a, a finite light beam going across laser beam it turns out that if you compute the strength of the gravitational field let's suppose that it's the same length
2: mm-hmm.
1: as the lead piece it turns out that the gravitational field of the light beam is actually twice that right Even right the, okay so and so it, it turns out that there's a, other aspects of in, uh, other aspects too. For instance, this is a really strange one that even some of my, uh, colleagues in, you know, who worked have found it strange when they first encounter it, when you have, let's suppose you have two rods next to each other, metal rods, they will attract each other. Mm-hmm. Let's suppose you have two parallel light beams. They won't. Right. Why not? Well, the thing is, is that it's a technical term. I mean, aren't that, they distorting? That, that. Aren't they both distorting well, spacetime no, through they're, their they're, But they're not distorting it in exactly the same way. Okay. Okay, so they create gravitational field, but they're not. Okay. There's a in Einstein's equation. There's a, there's a term, and I'll just throw out the technical. It's called the Ricci tensor. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This Ricci tensor for matter is not zero. The Ricci tensor for light is zero okay so if you actually if you wanted to go back to the the, the mathematical root that is the root okay this this term called the Ricci tensor for matter is not zero for light it is zero and that has a lot of other consequences so so that's why i said that sometimes when people talk about the equivalence of of matter and energy the equivalence does not mean identical
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in this particular case the properties of light in the way it creates dense space is not exactly the same way as the way matter so
0: so i'm i'm envisioning some kind of laser beam that is in a compacted area that is moving in some kind of circular fashion you know based on the mathematics that you put into this practically speaking you know, how much laser how small area how well, like, what do you th- that's sort of? Yeah, what do you think it's sort of is, turning into?
1: There's two different things that are occurring here. Remember, I said that you're getting a twisting of, of space that occurs. It turns out that that twisting of space, whenever the twisting is strong enough, it actually will cause a twisting of time in a loop. My I wrote two different papers. One, the first paper that I did, when I said well, this was solving Einstein, was to show that the circulating beam of a uh, ring laser, okay, would cause a twisting of space. And then what I had to do was, is I said, Well, now, if I up that, it turns out that what I did was I used the simplified forms of Einstein's uh, gravitational field equation. Now, if you up the energy, It turns out that that twisting of space can lead to a twisting of time. That was the second paper. But here's the kicker. With the twisting of space, which occurs at at any level, okay, uh, the energies there are not really that great, okay? They're they're actually within our technological bound. But now, to increase that energy, to cause the twisting of time, it turns out that that's galactic. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we're talking about energies right. that are, you know, okay. Right. We're building uh, a cool un- 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 Unbelievable. Okay. So that's, that's the problem. So the thing is, is that, so literally my work splits into two portions. The one was showing that the circulating beam of light. And what I'm trying to do is to get the funding for just that portion of, because if, if that, right. if we see that, we know the basis for it. And, you know, mathematicians have a phrase necessary and sufficient conditions. Okay. If the, The twisting of space is a necessary condition, but it's not sufficient, okay? If we don't see the twisting of space at even those lower energies, we can go home. But if we do, then we might have. Now, here's the other thing that's missing in in what I'm doing. Quantum mechanics. I have not taken into account what happens with, with quantum mechanics in this. Quantum mechanics may, in fact, impact this. It may make it more difficult, but it may simplify it. Now, why do I say it? The thing is, is that let's just go back to the basic equation that every school child knows, equals MC squared. Even Einstein, when he first came out with that equation, engineers that approached him, they they said, can that practically be you know done? He wasn't sure that it could be, mm-hmm. you know, used in a practical way to create energy, you know, even from a little bit of mass. It, it's quantum mechanics that led to that and what i mean by specifically by that the whole notion of fusion okay the whole notion of the uh i'm sorry the whole notion of fission right in the, in the first case the whole notion of fission and the chain reaction all of these things are part of quantum mechanics and all of these things you might say overcome that barrier that would have been a, a problem otherwise right. okay S- S-
0: so I'm kind of, I mean, at this point, I'm sort of imagining some kind of, of maybe satellite to keep it away from Earth's gravity. You, you're running a laser inside your satellite at at whatever energies and whatever tight radius is required. And you are attempting to detect some kind of curving, some kind of, I guess, like frame dragging of space within the apparatus, which then could be used as an, as an indirect detection of of time dragging,
1: right? As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, in fact, the the even at the lower level, the gravitational field that's being created by the marine laser would actually allow time travel to the future. That's mm-hmm. sometimes forgotten. Okay, because that's that's twisting space, that's actually creating a gravitational field. And that in itself will cause time to slow down. I mean, time to bend.
0: Yeah. But I mean, time traveling into the future, that's no big deal. I do that all the time. So
1: (laughs) not quite quite the way in which uh, they do it in the movies or the way that we would like to do it, you know, in which we could actually just go uh, and spend, you know, a couple of years in space and come back to the earth, you know, in decades, which is something that happened in the movie Planet of the Apes*. So, you know, and that, so we we can't, (laughs) what do you say that, no, actually we can't do it easily. Uh the, the only large-scale experiment with human beings that was done was an experiment that was done in 1971, which a lot of people still don't know about. Uh, it was an experiment that was done at the Naval Observatory in which they took two atomic clocks. One of the atomic clocks was kept at rest at the Naval Observatory, and the other clock was uh, put on a ordinary yeah. passenger jet. Okay, And they were able to demonstrate that the passenger jet flying at the speed of sound actually would cause time to slow down. However, it was only measurable with atomic clocks. (coughs) The thing is, is that you would have to be traveling close to the speed of light to get it to go a little bit faster than that. Yeah. I mean, to, you know, go far in the future. Yeah, but and now, I know
0: I know that that experiment has been has been replicated as well with say the the international space station. They put really fancy atomic clocks on the space station. But right, I want to go true. back. I want to go back to this potential experimental apparatus
1: like you oh, know, yeah. when you're well, saying that you're is, looking is, for you funding. To, right. No, no, the thing is is that you don't have to actually even go into space. Hmm. I have a, it's a very very simple equation that I I arrived at, okay, at the end of the, uh, which is always satisfying, because the equations themselves solving them, I was not sure where it was going to go. But it turns out that there's a very simple equation. It's it actually says it's, uh, it actually says uh, that there's a term in there, it's actually, you might say it's the twisting of space. It's if, I, if for instance, suppose that I have uh, this ring laser, and I put a neutron in there. A neutron spins like a little top, okay, and has an arrow, might say along the axis of spin. And if I put a neutron in there, what I would find is that when the space be- when you turn on the circulating light, this t- space in there would get twisted and it would actually twist the neutrons spin. Yeah. It would actually cause the neutron spin to process. What I the equation I came up with simply says that the precession is directly proportional to the intensity of the light, which you would expect, okay? The greater the, you know, the the light uh, energy, okay? The greater the precession. But here's the interesting thing in the, okay, that's in the numerator, in the denominator, it turns out is the size of the ring laser. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the smaller I make the area, the greater the precession is, so contrary to what you might think, it says that what I would like to have is much energy as I can in as small an area mm-hmm. as I can. This puts it within laboratory dimensions. So the uh, my prediction and the experiments are actually laboratory scale. Perfect. You just have to have a system in which you would do that. You know, you could do that, and if we see that, then that would be the first test that this actually would allow us to have a laser driven time machine, right.
0: And so in your sort of in your perfectly, you know, you've mentioned, you know, to actually make a direct detection of the time shifting, you would require a, as you say, a galactic levels of, of energy. I'm, I'm sort of imagining you building a, a your own Kugelblitz in in the laboratory that then proceeds to you know suck out the entire planet Earth. But um, but what would you know practically speaking? If you could sort of carry you know? well, right. uh, no, yeah. I mean, practically speaking, if you could carry all the way out to the to the end of your research that you know, where the engineer mind would take over and say, how can uh, I good. use this? Yeah. What would what would you see this kind of turning into, ideally?
1: Well, oh, yeah, no, well, for me, I mean, I I have never been I mean, you know, to me, trying to send people back to that, that's great for science fiction. To me, what's more important is information, mm-hmm. you where know, we're the information age, and I was always focused on what if I could send information back to the past? Okay. And for me, it would be sort of like an early warning system. For instance, imagine if we could send information back to ourselves about tsunamis, earthquakes, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, pandemics, yeah. <laughs> so the thousands of lives that we yeah. could save, millions of lives that we might be able to save, okay? The thing is, is that, so that to me is one of the most important aspects of this, is the fact that we could send information back to them. I can't tell you, Frazier, how many t- uh, emails I get every single week from people saying my son was in a car accident yeah. is there any way that i can send they don't say can you send me back they say can i send him back, home back a message yeah a text message yeah right you know Yeah. Uh, or someone was was murdered i mean i've gotten some of it is the heartbreak.
2: oh yeah i'm sure okay?
1: but the thing is is that so so to me being able to send information back is more important now what form would this information take well one of the things that I've conjectured is that, remember I was talking about neutrons. Now, subatomic particles, when we talk about spin, they, they can only spin in two different directions, a spin up and a spin down. That's it. There's no, like, in between.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so suppose that I have uh, I assign uh, a one to the spin up and I assign it a zero to the spin down. Now, suppose I have a stream of neutrons in which I have spin up spin up spin up spin down that's a one one zero what are we talking about binary code so by using the spin of subatomic particles we could actually transfer we could actually have information transferred that way and that could be used in a detector that was one now here's the thing you have to have a detector that would be able to get this information too so a lot of people think that if you turn the time machine on all of a sudden you're going to get stuck from the future no it isn't going to happen that way. You have to have something that is going to be able to be detected. It's like you, you don't hear the radio waves that are coming through you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so th- but that's the point. So for me, that's, that's the, uh, you might say, the practical side of it.
0: And and so I guess the as with the black hole example, the the limit, of course, is that you can only receive messages from when you turn the machine on and into the future.
1: That's right. In other words, let's suppose that I had this device and I turned it on today. And let's suppose I left it on for uh, 10 years. Then someone 10 years from now could send back information five years, you know, seven years, all the way back up to the point. But before the device was turned on, that's the thing that's causing this twisting of space and time. It can't go any earlier than that. And that, as I said, that's a limitation that happens with black holes, with wormholes and with my, my work.
0: But, you know, one doesn't require you flying your spaceship close to a extreme, you know, black hole with potentially millions of times the mass of the sun and all of the ramifications. I I do like the the one in the lab that, you know, beep boops out data from the future every now and then that sounds very convenient to me. Uh, Well, Ronald, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, You've got a book that sort of
1: goes into this in more in more detail, yeah, In more detail. And I should mention the book talks about how I became interested in this in this. Just Here, actually,
0: been... the book wasn't in frame. So I want to give you a, a better oh, yeah, shot yeah, to sure, grab actually. the uh, to grab the book and <laughs> and hold it right up there. There we go. Yeah. Time
1: Traveler. Yeah, yeah. It's called Time Traveler. And it actually is a memoir, really, with the science in it, because yeah. it talks about why I became interested in it, actually, yeah. which had to do with the death of my father. So um, that was why I really that was the root of my becoming interested in it. It was a long long path after that. But eventually I found out that Einstein was going to be the re- I should say the thing that started me off really as a child. My father died when he was <laughs> 33 and I was 10. Yeah. This is the th- this is actually the of course. It, when I was when I was 11 this is what saved me from actually going into a deep deep depression because when I read it and I read in particular it said scientific people know very well that time is just a kind of space and we can move forward and backward in time just as we can in space as i said i was 11 years old a year after my father died when i read that i that was the thing that opened up for me because i thought if i could build a time machine i could go back and see him again what i realized ultimately was the key word in there is that scientists know very well so i knew i was going to have to become a scientist yes that's what led me eventually to become a theoretical physicist in einstein's work as I said, I go into all of that as well as talking about black holes and wormholes and other things in my book.
0: Absolutely fascinating. And so if people want to, I mean, obviously people can pick up the book. If they want yeah. to find out more about your work and what you're working on, where, where should they go?
1: Well, actually, I'm on Facebook and I actually have a podcast. Yours will be <laughs> one of them. Oh, great. There. Okay. And so, so what I would suggest is that people actually contact me on Facebook. Uh, they can go to uh, my university website but i don't update it the way that i do right on my facebook and my facebook is devoted towards you know towards the sciences right and so that's what i would suggest is to contact me on facebook be happy to add people as a friend and that would keep them up to date on what i'm doing
0: especially I'm doing this- oh, uh <laughs> especially congress people looking to fund uh new uh science experiments now that the uh, the large hadron collider you know you know, needs a follow up replacement. So, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I should mention it's incidentally, uh, the book, which is available in on Amazon, by the way, that Hollywood has had some interest in it. So keep your eye out on that.
0: That uh, sounds great. I'll, I look forward to the I look forward to watching to binging it on Netflix. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dr. Mullen, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Good luck. Um, but I guess you would already know from the future. Anyway, uh, we won't <laughs> go into the paradoxes. <laughs> but thanks a lot. Take care.
1: All right, thank you very much. Bye
0: bye. If you want a single, comprehensive resource for space news, you'll want to subscribe to my weekly email newsletter. Every Friday, I send out a magazine of space news with dozens of stories, pictures, brief highlights about the story, and links so you can find out more. Go to slash newsletter to sign up. It's totally free. And did you know that all my videos are also available in a handy audio podcast format, so that you can have the latest episodes as well as special bonus material like interviews with me show up on your audio device go to universetoday.com slash audio or search for Universe Today on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll put a link in the show notes.